welcome into this Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Zane Hopin, joined by Chris Cartman and Kalen Jones. As always, in this episode, we will wrap up the loss to San Diego State, discuss the state of Todd Graham, as everyone wants to know, of course, and look ahead to Texas Tech as ASU makes its first road trip of the season. We will have more on the Texas Tech matchup in a premium podcast later in the week, but we're going to get started on it today. Fellas, how you doing? Wonderful. Wow, that that's a nice adjective. I'm glad you're doing wonderful. I'm doing tremendous. Tremendous, ha. wonderful. I'm fantastic. What's up, Chris? Mona Plummer's in here, uh, hanging out with us in the media workroom at ASU. She has no head. Full Levi's jumpsuit. And all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's get right into it. The obviously disappointing San Diego State loss last Saturday, 30 to 20. Uh, a lot of a lot of negatives to point out in this game. A few positives, some being Frank Darby. Some will say the play of Manny Wilkins. But really, one of the things that stood out to all of us was the struggles at the point of attack, which continues to be an issue. Starting with the New Mexico State game, and will obviously be another huge test in te- the Texas Tech game. But uh, Kalen, what did you see in that front? Well, again, like we we mentioned in the first uh, recap of the New Mexico State game, it just looked like the interior line just really struggled against both pass and defensive rush. Um, they weren't really able to establish a point of attack both in the running game and in pass pro. It's really odd because before I think the season started, I think a lot of us expected that, you know, ASU would be able to typically rely on the running game and, you know, let the offensive line dominate, you know, a group that, you know, taken had played together for a year and now comes in another year older. They really haven't, you know, come together as a wholesome unit and really look cohesive. And so the running game has really struggled, and they've been so reliant on passing the football. I think that's what's been the most interesting thing. One of the things that we noticed in camp was Jamarcus Rhodes was uh, coming off the edge and getting mm-hmm. a lot of sacks and tackles for loss. And we were like, oh, wow, Jamarcus Rhodes. Yeah, and even Sean Smallwood he, from inside. He, he's, they're poised to have a really good season. Well, come to find out, that's because ASU's protections were pretty awful. And yeah. you thought that the group was going to be improved. You really had to see it that way coming into the season. Yeah, they lost two starters, but they were kind of middling players. Uh, Quinn Bailey and Sam Jones are seen as like more veteran leaders of the team now. They were the highest graded players on pro football focus on ASU's offense last season. Uh, yes, ASU gave up 41 sacks and, and wasn't really great last year, but you had to think that they were going to take a step forward. If you compare ASU's talent along the offensive line to the defensive talent from New Mexico State and San Diego State, uh, who are you going to pick? Hands down, ASU is better. Right. Right. So so Todd Graham says uh, um, this week, uh, it's not a problem with our talent. Well, what does that mean? That means it's a problem with your coaching. That means it's a problem yeah. with what you're doing to get those guys on the right page. And Todd Graham said, well, we're going to work night and day to fix that. The problem is, is that they need to work like 48 hours a day as opposed to 24 hours a day. Yeah, and they don't have night and days. And they don't have night and days. <laughs> they don't have night and days. They're, they're, I mean, what they're about to face, right? It's like the White Walkers, what these people are about to face <laughs> in like the next month of the schedule after they play Texas Tech. Uh, you just can't improve your protections that much in a week. I'm just saying, like, they, they're in a really bad way, and um, and you have to fault coaches. And it's not just the offensive line, Kalen. Yeah. They're tight ends, an abomination. J.J. Yeah. Wilson, I probably was about as harsh as I've been on him as any player in recent years at ASU. Uh, and then you see at practice today, and as Tuesday as we're taping this, uh, he was pulled out of the, the two deep in the media viewing mm-hmm. segments of practice. He was just almost disinterested. He doesn't get a block on the perimeter. And you have uh, John Humphrey getting crushed. 
low. I mean, he could have got hurt there with his right. legs. Obviously, he did later on in the game. There's protection issues at the point where Manny Wilkins is running around to save his life. Even Nick Ralston, who's a cerebral, pretty intelligent guy, is not figuring out where the, the, the pressures are coming from, yeah. and he's not getting there. I'm, I just think point blank that there's coaching and that's just letting these guys down and maybe you could say that it's a transition from one staff to another with a coordinator and an offensive line coach or guys are just not understanding or whatever the case may be and maybe talent is is somewhat at, at play here but but not not the majority of the problem and I just don't know that you really get that turned around in the amount of time that they have and you mentioned J.J. Wilson the only time we really saw him in practice today on this Tuesday was with the punt team and he, yeah, like Chris mentioned, wasn't even in the two deep. All we saw him was in punt protection. But piggybacking, off I wouldn't that, even have him do that if it was just me personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, especially with the struggles he's had in the blocking game for sure. But uh, piggybacking off that, Chris talking about Manny Wilkins having to run for his life. Yeah, a lot of people are pointing the finger at Manny, saying it's his fault. And you know, you look at the numbers and you even look at the game tape. You know, following the game, I don't really get it. Yeah, not at all. And I think you mentioned it before we even started recording, Zane. Like, Manny Wilkins is in the top three in terms of pass efficiency for the Pac-12. The past couple games, if any Sun Devil fan looks at or goes back and watches the game and says that Manny Wilkins is the issue, I think they completely have it wrong. I think it all starts from within the trenches. When you look at the offensive line, the fact that they're not able to run the football, Manny Wilkins has done everything possible, really, to carry the football team as far as he can. I, I mean, again, for the second game in a row, they didn't generate any explosive plays on the on the ground. Everything came through the air. I think all of their scores were generated mostly through the air. So, if to me, it doesn't really make any sense to come after a player who's, you know, really been, as Chris mentioned, running for his life and doing everything possible to, to carry the offense when it was supposed to be the other way around. He's supposed to be a supplemental player. I'll be the first to admit, I thought going into the season that Manny Wilkins was going to be the question mark of the ASU offense. I thought, right. okay, they have great receivers. Their running backs are solid. It's not going to be a problem. J.J. Wilson can run around and catch the football. Um, they just need a good trigger man to, to make it all work. No, um, actually, Manny Wilkins hasn't been the problem, at least through the first two games of the season. Uh, when you consider the fact that uh, his challenge already is um, what he does when he doesn't have a clean pocket to operate from and how right. he wants to sort of evade and scramble and run around a little bit too much, man, his his the players up front have done him no favors. They've put him in a really bad situation early, and he still handled it well. He hasn't had any jeopardy balls in two games. He's made good decisions for the most part. I mean, maybe he's exposed himself a, a few times, but how are you not going to do that when you're literally running around for your life uh, half the time back there? So, you know, ASU fans... I understand like the quarterback is going to get a lot of the blame and last mm. year he didn't necessarily do that well, but you really can't look at him as being the, the, the main flaw this year. Todd Graham said, you know, the, the responsibility is really on the coaches direct the, direct the, your frustration at me. And I have to say that's where it really should be directed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and much like the offensive line uh, with their issues with this next point, clock management, we, we talked about the coaching of the offensive line and, you know, coming down the stretch at the end of the game, that last drive where it's like, okay, if they score here and get an onside kick, maybe mm -hmm. they have a shot. Right. But two plays in a row, you see Manny line up, check out the defense, and then everyone stands up and looks to the sideline for a play call, <laughs> thereby wasting, what, it was like 45-something yeah. seconds. Really odd. Yeah, and, and you know, the coaches got to do a better job, in my opinion, when, again, you know, the coaches have done, I guess, not necessarily their job of accepting the blame, but you can't – accept the blame without there being action, you know? Mm -hmm. It's cool if you, you're you willing to be open enough and 
you know, accept targeted, I guess, like frustration. But if there's no change, then I mean, what's the definition of insanity? It's like repeating the same thing without any change. So, uh, in my opinion, like the coaches have to do a better job, especially in crucial situations like that, because it wasn't just that miscue. I think the miscue before the end of the first half, really, that's what cost them too, where they, they didn't run the football over and over again. Instead, they were you second know, and third down with yeah. two timeouts for the opponent. And then ended up, you know, shanking the punt and gave uh, San Diego State a short field and ended up giving up three points. I'm so glad that you actually brought this up, Zane, that because I'm looking at it right now. We mentioned it on the 10 takeaways, a premium uh, part, uh, piece on our on our site sonofasource.com, ASU gets the ball with 2.43 left in the fourth quarter, right? They're down two scores. Uh, it took them two minutes and 11 seconds to run seven plays with a timeout. Now, now two minutes in college football is an eternity. Yeah. Like, there's just no way that it should take that long. Yeah. They were sitting there knowing they need two scores, and they're looking over at the sideline for like yeah. 10, 15 seconds. And we watched them walk through tempo every single that, day that's, like that's they practice this it's we, not like they don't practice tempo they that's practice this the every day <laughs> first so we can, thing we'll be the first to tell you that they practice tempo it's not that they're not prepared for the situation it's the first thing and then the game is over they take a knee with like seven seconds left and todd graham takes a timeout which was like inexplicable to me like like they're just trying to get off the field it's a two score game like what what is the purpose? And like a lot of people who were left, which was probably, you know, maybe like 150 people, they were like booing. And I actually kind of understand, like, what are you trying to yeah. elongate this game that where you just failed? Um, it, it's, it, it was like he was trying to send a message of some kind or, but, but what it's like was you the message? You don't, it's, you know? that's when I've been thinking about it. <laughs> this, like since the game ended, it's like, why did he call that last time out? And I, I showed you guys, I got I actually got a shot of him. The whole sequence before he calls the timeout, and he's yeah. walking up and down the sideline, talks to Coach Slocum, and talks to Nikhil Harry, and it's like, and then he just walks over to the ref and says, "I want to take a timeout." He didn't really look that present to me in the moment when when he was doing all that. I think he was almost like mentally somewhere else, and then he went through like some motion that you go through yeah. in taking a timeout. But, but you know, this whole thing is about the consciousness of decision making, and Todd Graham decided to offload the responsibility of managing the defense in terms of play calling and signaling and all of that to Phil Bennett. Well, he should be filling that void with sound strategy in terms of how, what we need to do with game management, clock situations, mm-hmm. all of that. And then you have a situation like the end of the half. It's like, you know that Michael Sleep Dalton is punting with his opposite leg, right? Yeah. You know that San Diego State can't throw the ball downfield successfully on you, right? It's a one-score game at that point. Why are you – it was like a field goal, actually, or four-point lead, I think, for San Diego State. Why are you not saying to Billy Napier in the headset, listen, we got to just run it yeah, here, run force timeouts, out. yeah. get our punt team on after a timeout, get the best kick that we can, and force them to drive the ball 20 or 30 yards in 20 seconds to be able to get a field goal. Yeah, and, then, and then at that point, you're forcing them to throw. Maybe you can get a turnover of your own. Exactly. Absolutely. A yeah. situation where they have to throw the ball yeah. with some yeah. urgency. They probably wouldn't. They probably would have just ran it, ran it, ran it, long field goal kick or something like that, maybe at the end of the half at best, uh, or tried to go for like a third down long run situation. Um, it just, to me, that was, that showed just a lack of foresight. And I didn't. I also didn't like the the key sequence of the game early in the third, 
when they went for it on fourth down. They had the the drop touchdown uh, that was a long pass from Wilkins to Humphrey, which was kind of unfortunate for them because they haven't really had drops in the first couple games, right? But then fourth and seven, they line up, they look at the sideline. We know that um, based upon if they like the look, right, Wilkins can punt or he can right. go for it. Yeah. Napier said after the game, well, we liked what we had there, but ASU had like 200 total yards and you're in the third quarter are we surprised that it didn't work out like that they weren't able to connect on that? I, I, yeah. To me, I am not surprised. And again, it's a field position game. Allow yourself to, 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 to play the, the type of game that yeah, the you game can itself beat dictates. Them too. You yeah, can beat them. Pin at. them deep, yeah. <laughs> get a stop, get the ball back, you know, you know, manage, manage that. And so I just don't, I just think that there's uh, numerous uh, challenges and problems that they have that again combined with the protection issues and some of these other things I don't see how this gets resolved when they're going into they're going to run into a bus saw here at the outset of, of Pac-12 play just in a week never mind you know what's coming from a, a, a passing yeah, defense Texas test Tech, against Texas yeah. Tech and, and one more thing before we move on to what everyone is yeah. talking about <laughs> Coach Graham's status. Hey, what is what is that going to be about? <laughs> the, the special teams in that game, you know, it, it's been a strong suit for this team the last yeah. couple of years. Definitely. And there was just a lot of errors. I, it, errors. Er, critical. Errors, critical errors in the special teams. Yeah. Uh, Michael Sleep Dalton obviously gets some sort of a pass with his foot, but yeah. he was – you can't really put him in a situation yeah. like that. Yeah, it was interesting because again, like you mentioned, like mentioned earlier, like if you're gonna do that, at least run the football so that way when you, like think ahead. Think so ahead. in the event that you have a mistake, like a shank punt, mm-hmm. which could happen with your punter that's kicking with his opposite foot. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like, they said like, well, that's never happened in practice. Practices oh, I aren't feel games. Like we've yeah. seen that. I, I thought that we've seen it. Even when he said that, we I was have like, seen we've it. definitely seen. Yeah, we have. They 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 were in practice today. They were working with their backup punter. Mm-hmm. It was pretty awkward. Yeah. Like we're not gonna, you know, name drop anyone on this, yeah, but it, I don't think that they really have a, a capable. But but to your point, Kalen, if that's the case, you have to put your punter in the in, in, exactly. a, in a good. You can't throw him back into the exactly. goal line the after yeah, after a penalty, <laughs> after you throw the ball on second and third third down. I mean, just just bad. Just not not acceptable. And, and Sleep Dalton was kicking with his right foot at practice today, so. I, I think we can expect yeah. that again for Texas for the yeah. first time he's punting with yeah. his correct foot yeah yeah and then um, I don't know if we want to touch on this but Brandon Ruiz also yeah and he came punter. just a yard short in all seriousness like yeah. it was just that one yard but it proves again like how crucial you know Zane Gonzalez was last season you can't really blame Brandon Ruiz for that right exactly I mean, right one right, yard right. short and you your coverage team should your, do the job yeah you yeah. got to blame your coverage unit yeah. but it still shows you what happens when you don't have somebody who was elite. Yep. In that regard, yeah. uh, we did the research. Um, it set, Zane Gonzalez, 17 of 19 touchbacks in the first two games last year. You know, it's 90-something degrees outside. It's hot. It's a great surface. Kaboom. You should be able to put the ball out of yep. the back of the end zone if you're really, really good kicker. Um, the only two that were returned against him were less than 25 yards. So that that's a difference. And then then uh, Ruiz had the one pooch kick at, immediately after that, which Tagram said wasn't part of the plan. So it wasn't even discussed. Well, you have to actually plan for the coverage that you're going to have for where you're going to kick the ball because otherwise you could actually make it worse by having another yeah. breakdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he has like a 30-something yard kickoff. They get the ball on the 33-yard line. So, listen, by no by no means is Brandon Ruiz responsible right. for ASU right. losing this game. Yeah, no, heck but, no. But, but, right. just, but just a perceptible difference 
in capability on mm -hmm. a on a unit like that on special teams can can actually have real implications that are costly. Yeah. Well, and like you said with that weird pooch kick, that's another short field for San Diego State. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which the only time they're really buried was when Penny, you know, found the break in the defense yeah. and scored a touchdown. So. Yeah. I mean, look at it. How many yards did in the in the game San Diego State had um, 352 total yards from scrimmage. 95 was one play. 95, yeah, 95 was one play. ASU didn't do bad at no, all they from did scrimmage. Defensively, no. Outside of one you play. Yard, Yardage-wise, yeah. But it, then it's it, and then you look at the score. And yeah. Like, how do you get this many points on this out of that yards? little that's yards? All, that's yeah. all field position. Yeah. Well, it's 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 seven points on the kick on a kickoff return. Teams, yeah. Seven points on one play, yep. and then you give them the ball at your 18 yeah. yard line, and then the turn even the and, turnover on downs. And, and the turnover on downs. Six, seven points. This yeah. is this is why you have to accept we're in a field position game. Mm -hmm. We need to have that mentality as a coaching staff. And what do we do to facilitate being in the right situation with our decision making in light of that? Yeah, and it's, it seems like they kind of took for granted the fact that you know you have Zane Gonzalez for four years and Matt Hawk for two or three yes. years as well. Like, do we? so good at flipping the field for you yeah you could you could have a mental lapse. yeah that you're like okay cool we can count on that to be some, one of the three phases of the game that could be our most sound mm -hmm. unit and we can end up winning a there, game which there were times where they were like UCLA yeah, but last. there wasn't a hard enough edge about that I mean you gotta be Graham has to be in Napier's remember we got a left foot punter we can't have him punting from the back of his end zone we can't have them rushed onto the field we can't take a delay game penalty like none of these things could happen we can't you know if we're gonna kick it where Penny can return it, we have to make sure that we have it covered a certain way. I mean, there's little things, but man, like, it, it still matters so much. And, and we're going to continue with Graham here. Obviously, the, the topic of discussion this week, you know, coacheshotseat.com, however seriously you want to take that, <laughs> has Todd Graham at number one right now. This I think number one and number two. <laughs> no, maybe not. It was, it was Kelly from Notre Dame. After, yeah, Brian. He exploded on it. Really? About that? Did they get asked? Did he ask about no, that specifically? Was, was about, how do you feel about uh, being number two? It was about <laughs> like how they win close games and compared to last year. And he was like, "Well, it's not going to be like last year." And it was like, "It's like well, him and Graham as the top two coaches it, on this site, which I guess is taken pretty seriously by some." Kevin Sumlin was number three, I think. Yeah. Right. So, oh, he's what, do you, be. <laughs> what do you notice about those three situations? You have coaches that are pretty tight about. Mm -hmm their overall situation mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to project the best way that they possibly can. Yeah. They're trying everything they can desperately to turn things around. They're talking about, you know, we're going to work day and night and we're not as far off as you might think that we yeah. are. Because be, because if you're not doing that, then you almost give yourself to this doom and gloom thing. And there's, there's you know, for Todd Graham, he's going to be fine. I know we're going to get into this saying, mm -hmm. Todd Graham's going to be fine. You know, let's say he hypothetically does get fired. He's going to walk away with $10 million. Hey, Todd, go have a really nice vacation. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of people that work for him that aren't going to be fine. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of people that if if, 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 the, if the job comes to an end for them, mm -hmm. getting the next job is not going to be an easy thing. Right. And and he they know this, and it matters to him. And to, I'll give him credit in that respect. It matters to him. But they're now entering, as Zane's going to sort of illustrate here in a minute, they're, they're, they're entering... A, a a very difficult situation, mm -hmm. and and just some perspective on Graham here in his career. Started off his Sun Devil career twenty six and ten. Since then fourteen and seventeen. The Sun Devils have lost seven of their last eight. Chris, like you alluded to, what he said today, saying we're not as far off as you might think we are. I mean, Kalen, what's what's your take on that quote? It's a it's a very interesting quote because I, just from what we've seen through the first two weeks. You know, it, it, 
if the reality, what we're seeing with our eyes is the reality at this point. Yes. And they are pretty far off from what they're saying, which is, you know, a, a few or one or two, you know, fixes away from being a good team. If that, you know, maybe that surmises the offensive line. Maybe it's a defensive line. But there's too many holes as far as, you know, communication between the quarterback – or excuse me, not quarterback – the coordinators and, you know, having your personnel performing and executing plays correctly to, you know, even special teams and mishaps. You, to me, you have to be a step ahead on top of, you know, covering your tracks behind you. And at this point, they're still trying to cover tracks behind them. Look, it's, it's really hard to build chemistry with your offensive line, and chemistry is one of the most important components of success with that group. So what happens when we go out there and, pra- and watch practice today at ASU is they have a new offensive line configuration. They move Cokerball from left tackle to center. Mm-hmm. They got Zach Robertson, who's never played left tackle that we've ever seen. This year, uh, spring ball, fall camp now, he's now at left tackle. They, you know, they got Steve Miller and Quinn Bailey there on the right side, and you have uh, Sam Jones where he's supposed to be at left guard. But the the key thing here is they're trying something different, right? You're not trying something different in the third week of the season with your offensive line and then saying, well, we're not that far away. Actually, you're probably pretty far away because the chemistry that is required, not to mention the, the, the wherewithal to understand who I'm blocking and where and how, and I have this guy next to me, he's got you know his responsibility, and we have trust and comfort and all those things, and where we need to be on the field, that's not easy to come by. It's not the same as missing some throws, mm-hmm. missing a, a couple tackles that you probably should make here or there, having a special teams breakdown. They have really serious fundamental problems especially with their point of attack offense and and um they haven't even played teams that are going to really yeah, expose that, really, that. exactly that's this new thing. mexico state and san diego state yeah they're like they're, that's not, i mean no offense to those teams it's nothing compared to what's going to happen when they go up against stanford and usc and oregon and utah and the white walkers and, and washington <laughs> like in a row jesus man it's yeah, so so I guess the the question everyone is asking each other and all over the, our boards at least right now is yes, there's somebody is, at the water cooler right now on the other side of the room. <laughs> why do you know about this? So is it is it premature? Two two things. Is it premature to talk about Graham's firing? And if not, or if so, I guess what has to happen for him to save his job? I I don't think it's premature. You know, I, I, honestly, if you would have asked me this last week, I would have said yeah, it's a little too early, but. The, the manner in which they lost, the fact that, again, like they weren't two steps ahead. Usually, like, if you're a coach and you just get beat by a team, sure, then then I understand. But at this point, just the management of the team overall, just the fact that your players seem to not be buying into what you're saying and coaching on the sideline. You know, you mentioned it, Zane, like, going into the fourth quarter, it just seemed like the players were not, like, buying into you. And, you know, that's tangible for fans to be seeing. Like, it, it's – I don't know. I don't know what he can do to save his job besides win out or win a couple games at this point. Here's sort of my rhetorical question. Mm-hmm. How can you say that we're close, we're not as far as people think we are, and then on the other hand say we need to find our identity? Yeah. Yeah. If You totally. it, you can't – you you don't just like go out and grab the identity yeah, for no, lunch. Your identi- yeah, exactly. Your identity? You, you, if you, like your identity is who you are. It takes a long time to cultivate an identity, exactly. right? So, so it's just, there's, uh, this contrasting statements that are being made about where you're at and what your capability is We're working night and day to get this fixed. We need to find our identity. We're not that far away. No, no, not really. Yeah, two um, different so, so we're not, this is not premature. 
I mean, it's it's not just like someone randomly like drew in the hat and came out with Todd Graham as the, the number one hot seat candidate right now. I mean, he's had two losing seasons in a row. He's on a negative trajectory. Um, they've like won one game in however long it's been, going back to the middle of the last season. One game in the last eight. There you go. One game in the last eight. And they just lost to San Diego State, which is probably the worst loss that he's had in his tenure at ASU. And they got a huge swath of, of razor blades that are going to be shooting at them from all Winter directions. Is Winter, Winter is, is coming. coming. <laughs> Winter is coming. And, that, and there's another – yeah, there's more, to, there's more to talk about here with this. Yeah, you know, so like Kalen said, he doesn't know how Graham can save his job other than win a couple games. Well, it, that's much easier said than done. That's Obviously, way easier said than football, done. <laughs> but specifically ASU's case, um, starting on September 23rd, Pac-12 play with Oregon – ASU will play seven straight teams in the top 30 of the AP poll in Oregon, Stanford, Washington, Utah, USC, Colorado, UCLA. That I mean, I did some research into every Power 5 team schedule in the preseason, and ASU already had the toughest four-game stretch in college football, and now that is extended to seven with the play of Colorado, UCLA, and Utah. And Oregon. And Oh, and Oregon. Yeah. Oregon went from Oregon. Yeah, everyone yeah. Thought Oregon everyone thought Oregon was going to be an easy yeah. win. No, man, like that didn't make any sense to me at all. But it, it's not, it's not looking too good. Like you said, winter's coming, and you know, except this team doesn't have a dragon, you know, or two or three. <laughs> like, there's no way to fend these guys off. It's going to be rough. So look, it, ASU needs to beat Texas Tech. Obviously, goes yeah. without saying, right? I was going to ask you, like, do you think that's the most important game in Todd Graham's oh, yes. ASU tenure? Every game is now the most important game in Todd Graham's tenure. Literally, every single game they will play. Well, but don't you think this? You know, they're not going to be. Cl- Closer than seven and a half underdogs the rest of the year until Oregon State and Arizona. Right, that, that's that's a great point. They will be a significant underdog. That's everybody. And a half straight. Unless somehow they like pull a rabbit out of a hat and end up like being much better in like um, three three or four weeks. The odds of that happening Which are very. They're really not that far off. Yeah. Like Graham said. Today. Yeah. It, yeah. If 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 that happens, but that that we you know. It's not just us in this room. Everybody watching ASU football that has a lot of experience in just watching football, mm-hmm. even casual fans, don't look at ASU and go, "Oh, that's a that's a team that's on the verge of turning the corner." No, there's nothing about the, about that team yeah. that makes you say, "Okay, yeah, I know they lost to San Diego State and they and they looked really average against New Mexico State, but I think they're probably going to figure out a way to win a few games out of that gauntlet that you just laid out of of seven teams." No. No, it doesn't doesn't look like that. It doesn't feel like that. It doesn't seem like that. And so obviously talk about Todd Graham's future in light of the trajectory of the program, what happened in the last two years, is not premature. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah. And so uh obviously fans trying to find optimism. Wired Devils, one of our one of our subscribers, responded to my tweet about this stretch saying it's easier to get into the playoff with a 12 and 1 record if you've played a strong schedule. <laughs> Are you sure that, that 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 just wasn't something he said while in a bathtub with a razor blade <laughs> like like to make him feel better as it was ending? Yeah, it, it was def- it was a, it's a take. That's 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 positivity. It's just yeah. positivity. He's just being he's just being funny. <laughs> but um and now now when you look at this and seeing the potential for how disastrous this season might be for ASU, we we decided to look into some history. Um an ASU coach hasn't been fired with a losing record in his last season since Daryl Rogers in 1984. Yeah. 
Were your uh, parents alive back then, I, by the way? I believe so. Oh, yeah. okay. I was negative 11, <laughs> but my parents were, were definitely alive. They weren't married. 12. They weren't married. They probably weren't even dating yet. No, they were. My parents actually met in second grade. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, wow. Fun fact. Your, Mine weren't. Your parents were together in second grade? They, they met in second grade. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, in that 84 team, the Sun Devils went five and six. Um, was that at a birthday party at Dick's in, in Seattle? <laughs> <laughs> were they getting it was, a burger? It was around then. It was, it was yeah. Around then. Okay. <laughs> but um, back to, you know, ASU football. Uh, between between then and now, uh, the worst season ASU's had was in 1994. Uh, the team went 3-8, and eight, and that was actually the worst record in uh, modern history for ASU football. Did so. you see, not to interject, but did you see Jake Plummer tweeted a screen grab, a Wikipedia screen grab of that team's record? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was like, hey, you know, this has happened. That that was, uh, you know, just a couple years before they went to the, the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. Dang. So, I mean, he was trying to, you know, he wasn't, he was trying to put a spin on it in light of a lot of the negativity that's going on. Mm -hmm. Jake Plummer was a quarterback then and they had a losing season. So, you know, I can kind of understand that, although this is obviously a different situation. Yeah. I mean, that, that, like I said, was the worst record in in ASU history. And, you know, with this schedule coming up, it doesn't. Modern history. history. Going back to the forties. Yeah. And um, really it looks like this could happen again with this ASU. Yeah, it, it does. And again, like you mentioned, the gauntlet in the middle of the season, that doesn't help. It, I think, like you mentioned, Chris, this is going to be the biggest game of Todd Graham's, you know, ASU tenure. Um, I wouldn't be... Because if you lose... Yeah, if you lose, and it, it just... Then what again, happens? Like where are you fa- yeah, where, where else are you going to get a victory from? If I you mean, lose, you have to watch the rest of the season with your, like, through, like, your 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 yeah, fingers waiting. covering your yeah, eyes. waiting, because you won't know. Oof when you know the hammer's going to drop and i mean up until even against u of a and oregon state those aren't givens you know no. like that's the thing even if they're favored in one of those two games like it it just does not look good i i started out this season thinking that they would be you know six wins maybe five wins six or five i was kind of in my last thing i was kind of in between those things but then just the way that they've looked the first two games it makes you think and then and then the fact that some of these Pac-12 teams were playing better than their expectations yep. early on in the season everybody thought Colorado was going to be down i thought Colorado would be better than a lot of people expected Oregon has made this really quick turnaround um you know their their defense is a completely different thing this year uh, after making a change there and um and you know Washington and USC are still like some of the toughest teams in the league I, I don't know where they get wins from based upon what we're looking at right now. It, it, I agree, Kalen, it, like they have to beat Texas Tech. Yeah, this is an absolute must win. You know, and then they play Oregon at home. It's almost like they have to beat Oregon. So that's what I'm saying. Like every game almost becomes because if you lose to Oregon, then then, you know, then you got to go on and still play f- six more really hard games right yep. after that. So um, it is conceivable, Zane, that ASU is equal to or worse than the worst record in, in modern ASU football history this season, which would be just imagine the, even thinking about the possibility of that just a few years ago when Todd Graham yeah. was Pac-12 coach of the yeah. year, two-time ba- two defensive player of the year, two-time 10-win seasons, the best start probably for, a t- for any ASU coach in the you know modern uh, era, 
and now 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 we're at at this at this point you know and and that's um as i said in the column that i wrote on the site recently that's kind of sad just given everything that 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 Tagram's done for asu but at the same time it's not you know it doesn't do any good to sugarcoat this and to not just say really honestly what's going on with the program right now and and to also say that this texas tech game this saturday you know, like we said, might be the most important game in Todd Graham's career because he's not going to have a game that they're favored in or necessarily within a touchdown or, you know, 10 <laughs> for, for a You're while. Like trying to find Ten, a number yeah. in your head <laughs> of how bad this could be. <laughs> one possession. One, yeah, one possession. I think they might be underdogs against Oregon by less than 10. Maybe. They play well this week. If they yeah. play okay this week, yeah, that, got that, again, that all depends on this week. So uh, this will be this will be the second year in a row ASU takes on Texas Tech. Obviously, everyone remembers last year's game, one of the most exciting games in the pre-conference schedule, really across college football. Uh, ASU won sixty-eight to fifty-five. Kalen Balage obviously broke the NCAA record with eight touchdowns in a game. Which, when we talked to him today, he was he kind of yeah, brushed, he kind yeah, he's trying to brush it off. It off. <laughs> you um, know. It's nice to see Caleb. I wasn't there. What was he saying? He just he just kind of downplayed it. Yeah, he's like, like oh, it happened last year. He's pretty nonchalant, though, yeah. in, you know, in general. general. Yeah, that's all I'm thinking. Yeah. 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 But, um, More points scored in that game than the last ASU-Texas Tech basketball game, I'm pretty sure, by the way. 68-55. <laughs> it's probably like 59 to yeah. 48. They actually played like some years ago. But yeah, yeah. I mean, like, dude, he's a Kalen. You know, we we break records for a living, so, you know, it's no oh, yeah. big deal. Yeah. No mm, big deal. It's not really. Yeah. <laughs> Um, another, another key component of the last, the last time these teams met was it was the last time that Kalen Balaj and Damara Richard each had 100 yards wow. in a game, which is something that you know ASU fans and even us, we thought we would see a lot more often in the last two seasons. Manny Wilkins also had 55 rushing yards of his own. So, I mean, this seems like it would be an important game to f- – get the run game finally mm-hmm. going with some momentum. That yeah. seems like an understatement. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, <laughs> sure. But this is, if there was a team that they were going to go up against, like, out of the three, I think, well, besides New Mexico State, I guess. But if there was a team that they were going to face, like, in this first four or five games, this is, gonna, this is the game where they should really be able to dominate the line of scrimmage. Like, just looking at, you know, the little bit against Eastern Washington that you and I were watching earlier, Zane, like, it, it seems like at the point of attack, like, Eastern Washington was able to dominate Texas Tech. There's really. no excuse for ASU's offensive line to not be able to, you know, push around Texas Tech's defense, defensive line the way it was capable of doing last year. I feel like ASU needs four things this week. They need food, water, shelter, and a running game. You know, <laughs> like, how, how, like, Todd Graham is saying we're desperate to get our run play action pass game working. We need to get into a rhythm. This thing has to get established. Well, if it doesn't happen this week against Texas Tech, given what you did last year and just the reality of this team defensively, it's just not going to happen at all, right? So this is like we've entered almost a desperation sense, place in this season and in the Tagram era, just given everything that's brought us to this point. And it has to start with them being able to run the football successfully, Demario Richard will be back this week. It looks like. Remember, he has the, the uh, the the injury that knocked him out on his first carry, right against uh, mm-hmm. 
uh, New Mexico Mexico State. State. I think they could definitely use him in this game, and we'll probably see more of the Sparky package, see if Texas Tech has figured out how to stop that from one year to the next, Um, see if Texas Tech's defense really is improved. They thought last year – that it was going to be improved because they had added like six or seven yeah, junior college players from, and the, uh, up front the, yeah. and didn't materialize. Mm-mm. But sometimes there's that JUCO year of adjustment, and then a lot of those guys start to perform in that next year. So that that's something that has to be watched right. from this game. Mm-hmm. And another thing from last year, Patrick Mahomes obviously kind of stole America's heart that game. Kind of stole my on, heart. Put him on the map. <laughs> stole a lot of our hearts, that's for sure. Not but enough uh, for Todd Graham to even know his name, though. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Coach Graham referred to him as Holmes. That, that was today, right? He, pretty consistently. Yeah, he's Holmes. He's Holmes. Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, he's with the Kansas City Chiefs Ugh. now, but um, they're pretty high. Graham is also pretty high on their, their quarterback, Nick Shimanek. I believe that's how you say it. That's at least yeah. how it looks like phonetically. Shimani. But, um, you know, the way <laughs> – Shimani. The, the way I look at this game, it's like – this kind of completes the trifecta for styles of play for ASU yeah. opponents. I mean, New Mexico State ran a really kind of spread kind of offense. Mm-hmm. San Diego State gives you the power run down your throat like Stanford's going to give them. And now the secondary gets the real first test with an air raid team. That's poetic. Yeah. Uh, right. It, it's pretty similar to last year, right? I, I believe like their first couple games, they were really different. And then they faced a run of air raid teams. And But, I mean, just to your point. Northern so, Arizona, Texas Tech, UTSA. Uh, you know, yeah. and then and then Cal. Yeah, I don't think they play like no a true power, power team. team. Yeah, no power Spread, team. Northern Arizona and UTSA spreads. Okay, but I mean, just the fact that they're able to get this test out of the way now, and the fact that they faced them before, I think even though you do have mostly new members in the secondary, I think it's going to be you know a significant test. Just because I mean, now we're seeing Demonte King step in to the bandit safety role. We saw that practice today. He's probably projected to start there. Um, Joey Bryant, Kobe Williams. This will be the first time they they've had to go against. Um, an air raid attack. It'll be interesting to see like whether or not Phil Bennett decides to you know tap into the depth that they have at cornerback. Whether or not there's they're going to remain in their base units. I mean, we were watching Texas Tech kind of motion in the empty, you know, um, just run onto the field in empty sets where you're facing five receivers. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing like how ASU's defense kind of combats that. I think Chad Adams has actually played well in a quiet way at that cover safety position. Um, Kobe Williams, he made our, our hot 11 twice for mm-hmm. a reason. I mean, he's actually been good, uh, all things considered, to start the season. I mean, he's going up against a 6'6 monster receiver in the first week, but he more than held his own. Last week he was good. They didn't really target him. Joey Bryant, they went after him a few times, but he kind of held his own. He had that one play where he kind of got turned around and was, was lucky on on an offensive PI bailout. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right, though. This is going to be a huge test and much uh, greater degree of magnitude versus what they've seen to this point. It's going to give us a really good gauge of where they're at with, with that level. Um, and then we'll also see up front if they have the ability to be disruptive uh, whatsoever and try to make uh, the quarterback unsettled and and, uh, and do something that gives themselves some rhythm and allows them to get into a better flow. Uh, we're going to have much more on this Texas Tech preview on our premium podcast that comes later in the week. But uh, is there anything else that you guys no. want to throw in? No, it's just uh, make sure everybody checks out all of our content on sunnevelsource.com. We've had lots of uh, free stuff and also the premium analysis that we've always had. Uh, ASU got a, a new commitment. Um, for it's 13th, I believe, of the 2018 cycle from a linebacker from junior college in, in, in Kansas who goes by the nickname of Ironhead, Ironhead. Caddis. <laughs> so uh, he's going to be a DJ Calhoun type of replacement. We're going to have 
an evaluation of him up on the site here in the next day or so. And keep in mind, we're into official visit season and all that stuff. And so um, it's basically it's Cruton and it's a good time to be locked on to uh, the way the wind is flowing behind the scenes with ASU athletics and the head coaching situation. There you have it. Like I said, we'll be uh, we'll dive more analytically into the Texas Tech matchup later in the week on the Premium Pod. But for now, this has been the Sun Devil Source Report podcast for Zane Hopin, Chris Cartman, and Kalen Jones. As always, thank you for listening.